Welcome to the Kinetic Enterprise, built to evolve, presented by Deloitte. Your host for the program is Bonnie D. Graham. This program will help set up your business for the future with topics centered on the four pillars of the Kinetic Enterprise. We'll focus on case studies and leading practices designed to move you to the next level. Now, here is Bonnie D. Graham. Bonnie D. in the house. Thank you, kind sir, whoever you are today. We have such an interesting topic, but first I want to tell you, Deloitte has been recognized by SAP as the number one global partner Follow us on Twitter at Deloitte SAP. That's a handle, probably a hashtag to go with it. We're going to talk about a very exciting topic today. We haven't talked about it in a while on this show. It's the smart factory. So let me get started with some background, and then I will ask my two esteemed specialists to introduce themselves, and then we'll find out more. So manufacturers today face immense pressure to operate more efficiently and sustainably. We know that. For many, the way forward will require a renewed focus on their Industry 4.0 vision. We haven't talked about that in a while either, including, and here's what our topic is, smart factories running with intelligent processes. Just let that sink in for a second. Plenty of challenges lie ahead in this task, in this quest, in this goal, creating a risk-averse supply chain. And what else is everybody talking about today but supply chain? People who didn't know what it meant a year ago are talking about supply chain. Significant labor shortages also in the news. Continued globalization, yes. Significantly higher data using Internet of Things technology, data all around us coming from everywhere, all connected. And the ability to translate that data into actionable information dramatic technological advances around robotics, artificial intelligence, machine learning, and it goes on and on, and a shift in the future of work. We read about this in the news every day to many more remote operations. So given all of this, and there's certainly a pack of challenges, companies need to build a kinetic enterprise. That's why we're here with the kinetic enterprise built to evolve that can evolve and innovate as needed. Today, I'm going to be speaking with, they can wave for the video. I am on Zoom video, disclaimer here. I haven't introduced them yet. As two Deloitte manufacturing and transformation specialists discuss a blueprint for creating the built to evolve smart factory. Discover how you can use emerging technologies to build a smart factory and unlock value and unlock it faster. Our conversation will also cover the role of ecosystem partnerships, always important, the digitally empowered workforce, yes, 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 and how you can align smart factory solutions with your ESG goals, as well as a broader vision of sustainability and philanthropy. So many good topics. I think it's going to be three hours, but we only have about 48 minutes. I'm going to ask my first guest, Brenna Snyderman, to wave hello for our video here on Zoom. Hello, Brenna. You can unmute. unmute. There you go. You're muted right now. I think you're on a phone as well. And we are welcoming back a gentleman who's been on a while ago with me. Not enough, I think. Vadi Narasimhamurti. Hi, Vadi. Nice to welcome you back. I'm going to ask them for their insights on the Kinetic Enterprise strategies for enabling a sustainable and built-to-evolve smart factory. And we're putting a capital S on smart and a capital F on factory because it's important. So let's go around the table and get introductions. Brenna, I'm putting you on speaker view. Welcome. Would you kindly introduce yourself to our audience? Go ahead. Absolutely. Thanks, Bonnie. Um, I'm Brenna Snyderman. So I am the executive director of Deloitte's Center for Integrated Research. So I lead a team that focuses on cross-industry thought leadership and topics that really impact 
leaders across organizations, across industries, and across functions. I've been focusing on the Smart Factory since 2017, as well as Industry 4.0. Those are two of the areas I have really specialized a lot of my research in, and so I'm really excited to talk about some of that today. Thank you very much. And Brenna, so much of what I read in my opening is in the news every day, isn't it? The workforce, artificial intelligence, IoT connectivity, the future of work, philanthropy, sustainability, ecosystem, and of course, supply chain, supply chain, supply chain. And we won't Everywhere. tell that. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we might tell that joke later on. Vadi, I'm so happy to see you. It's been a while. Why don't you please reintroduce yourself to the Kinetic Enterprise audience? Go ahead, Vadi. Welcome. Great to be here, Bonnie. Uh, Vadi Narasimhamurthy. I'm a principal in uh, Deloitte's uh, SAP practice. I'm the global SAP supply chain lead for Deloitte, uh, and I've been uh, serving multiple companies uh, around the world, really thinking about what they should be doing uh, to continue to improve uh, their smart factory capabilities, So, and also broadly their supply chain capabilities. Uh, very excited to be here. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. So let's go into, I have asked my guest to send me a quote from a fictional character. These were interesting ones you picked, both of you. Brenna sent us a quote. I had to really look this one up. And the reason in case, now listen, I have to say, we're up to almost 80,000 listeners since we started this show. These are people listening all over the world. They may know Deloitte, they may not, but they're getting to know specialists like Brenna and Vadi. And if you're new to this show, the format is I've asked my guest to send me a quote that has nothing to do with the topic. It's not a business quote. It's not a smart factory quote. It's not a manufacturing quote. And they're going to explain in their own words how they think it does. So we're going to find out a little bit about how they think and what they think. So there we go. So Brenna Snyderman has sent us a quote from a scene. The movie is the TV show, actually. Douglas It's actually Adams. a book. It's, it's a, a book. book. Well, it started as a book, and then it went on yeah. to become a BBC Two TWO uh, TV show, and it spawned a whole a whole <clears throat> media franchise, if you will. So the character is a scene with Loon Qual, played by Anthony Carrick and Puchog. I don't know who played that. Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. There we go. And this was episode from January 26, 1981. You want to calculate how many years ago that was, Brenna? It was episode four, and the title of the episode was Fit, F-I-T, the fourth, F-O-U-R-T-H. Here's the scene, and Luke Kwan yells, 42, is that all you've got to show for seven and a half million years of work? And here's the quote. I checked it very thoroughly, said the computer, and that quite definitely is the answer. I think the problem, to be quite honest with you, is that you've never actually known what the question is. Brenna, that's my best computer voice. I'm sorry. I don't know. Sure. Go ahead. Tell us, so, how did you find this quote? Go ahead. So first of all, I love I love the book, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. It's a great book. That particular quote that you've never actually known what the question is, I think is, it's meant in jest. But it is one of the most profoundly wise quotes that I think I've ever heard with respect to business. It's a quote that I use a lot whenever I, I give speeches or whenever I present, because the whole idea behind the story is there are these two philosophers who want to understand the answer to life, the universe and everything. And so they spend a ton of money building a very powerful computer to calculate the answer, which sounds you know very familiar, a lot of a lot of companies out there spend a lot of money on technology to give them the answer. And after seven and a half million years of number crunching and work, the answer comes out to be 42. And nobody knows what to do with this answer or how to use it. 
because they never actually stopped before they put all of this money and time and effort into the into this project to stop and ask themselves what the question was. And so this is something that I see time and again in the research that I do, in the work that we do, in and, and when we speak with leaders is stop, take a moment, and ask yourself what it is you're actually trying to solve for. Ask what the question is before you run out and try and get the answer, because otherwise you'll wind up with a bunch of data and information that doesn't actually tell you anything. And so I just I, I, I find it to be a very useful, useful quote. So Thank you very like, much. And Brenna, wasn't there a quote from the Hitchhiker's Guide also about what's the most useful item you need is a towel? A towel. Somebody towel. used the towel quote on a show a couple of weeks ago. And just for, for purposes of, of uh, just level setting here, the adaptation of the book, there was an original radio series in 1978 and 1980, the first novel. Then there was a double LP, which is an album in 1979. Then there were stage shows and the BBC TV series. It spawned and spawned and spawned. Good for It's Douglas. a good book. I highly recommend it. I haven't read it yet. I think we know what I'm going to do this weekend. Thank you very much. Vadi, let's go to your opening quote. This is, oh my goodness, I wish I could know which fingers to do for the video here. It's from, it. everybody thought it was said by uh, one of the main characters in uh, who the Jedi, Obi-Wan Kenobi. We're talking about Star Wars, obviously, Alec Guinness. But it was actually said by an actor, Alex McCrindle, playing General Dodonna. Okay, in Star Wars, episode IV, that's episode four, A New Hope, 1977 American epic space opera film directed, of course, and written by George Lucas. And here is the quote, and everybody loves it. It was said in so many times in the movie, Vadi, that I had a list this long of everybody who said it and the, when they said it, but we're just going to go with this. You want to make the, I, I thought there was a, maybe I'm thinking of Spock, may the force be with you. Vadi, we love this quote. Tell us, what does this have to do with our topic today? Go ahead. First of all, you know, I'm me, my whole family, my, my kids, we are huge Star Wars fans. Uh, so this is a tradition in the family that during Thanksgiving, we binge watch all Star Wars. Uh, so it's coming up in two weeks. Uh, we can't be more excited about it. So this is something that uh, is very personal to me. And in the context of what we're talking about, uh, a lot, most companies are going to go through a enormous smart factory journey over the next you know, 10 years as they continue to revamp how they think about operations uh, in, the, in the shop floor, but also the broader supply chain. So as they, as they go through that, this quote is very apt because this is about telling uh, companies, you know, you, you have the force with you to go make the kind of change that you need to make. And this is not just a technology change. It's a change about how people think. It's a change about how you want to grow talent in the organization. It's a change about your operating model. And it's a change in the way you interact with your customers and your suppliers. And, and most importantly, uh, all of that will result in significant value creation for, for a lot of companies. So may the force be with you to be able to make the kind of change you need to make. <laughs> I, I love it. And Vadi, there you're back. Your video is coming in and out, but we can hear you crystal clear. So we're just going to keep rolling on. This is great. Um, it's such an important quote, and you can use it anywhere where you want to encourage someone, can't you? And that was one of the explanations I saw is when somebody's leaving a room, a scene, and going to meet a challenging circumstance, 
may the force be with you is meant to be encouraging. It's meant to say, I'm thinking of you. I'm wishing you well. And that's why it was used in so many scenes. I'm sorry. I kept thinking of Spock. I'm thinking of the, I was asking you for, for the, I'm sorry, for the hand movement there. Okay, let's go on. Thank you both for really interesting quotes. Now let's go to a deep dive into our topic. Brenna Snyderman, why don't we start with your statement number one. I'll read a little bit of it, just a little. Ask you to please do a deep dive, or as they say in the news, please unpack it for us, Brenna. Take your time. Three, four minutes is fine. And then, Vadi, Brenna told me she's really feeling good today, and she said if you want to disagree with her, it's okay. But I'm going to ask you to comment, agree or disagree, and take your time with your thought leadership on to what her topic is. So Brenna said the following, smart manufacturing helps manufacturers better weather future upheavals and adapt more quickly to changes in demand, in the supply chain, and other parts of the value chain. I'm going to stop there, Brenna. Why don't you take it away? Go ahead. Sure. And and thanks for that. I I think this is particularly salient now, um, you know, coming off of COVID. As you mentioned, Bonnie, at the beginning of this, this podcast, all of the news we've been reading about the supply chain and, and all the challenges that have been happening. This is this is what reality is is going to be basically from from here on out. We we did a global study of CXOs um, in 19 countries last year and found that 66% of leaders in manufacturing and industrial products and construction and basically those who are who are making things believe that massive change will be either occasionally or regularly going on from now on, whether it's another pandemic, hopefully not, um, climate change, shifts in demand, political shifts, all kinds of shifts, trade wars, you name it. Um, these are going to keep happening. And so organizations really need to be prepared going forward that they're going to need to be agile and resilient more or less continually in the future. Um, the notion behind a smart factory and a connected factory um, should help you be able to do that because you're getting information ar- about what's being made, helping you to optimize how your facilities are being used, helping you to understand where things are within your supply network and, and where your supplies are, and really helping you to become more agile, more informed about what's going on around you, which should make you better able to react to changes that are taking place. And so I think that in many ways, um, what's happened over the past two years can be very instructive for how organizations can shape their smart factories going forward to adapt to new changes. Thank you, Brenna. Very interesting to me. We just had a quote from Vadi from Star Wars, and you mentioned trade wars, and I'm thinking we have to update. (laughs) We have to do a redux of the movie and change it for the times. Vadi, let's get your POV, your point of view on this. Join us. What do you think about what Brenna just said? Please. You know, um, I, I, I won't disagree with Brenna because she, she's, uh, she's done a ton of research in this space and, and she actually just is part on in the way she described uh, what, what is going to happen. Uh, what I would say is this is one of the main reasons why a smart factory is thought of with, uh, as, as under the kinetic uh, you know, supply chain umbrella. Uh, the, 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 the need for companies to be more agile Uh, is going, which means that companies need to be more kinetic in the way they think about it. They need to evolve, uh, not just build solutions or capabilities to last, but build solutions and capabilities to evolve. And Smart Factory is, is a perfect example of the kinds of capabilities that companies need to continue to build in order to keep that evolution going, especially as the amount of change 
is is going to accelerate frankly as we look mm-hmm. at uh, you know all of the factors that Brenna you were talking about uh, none of these are going to slow down in fact they're going to go faster so we need to have that agility uh, to be able to cope up with that thank you vadi brenna anything you want to say back to vadi before we move to one of his statements talk to us um, no, I mean, I, I obviously I I agree with Vadi. I think he he has it all right, and I, I do think that the you know the the technologies that are available right now and the sheer amount of data that's available right now um, should should help companies be more agile. But I think it all goes back to my quote: "You have to know what question it is you're trying to answer to help you sift through all the information and data that you have at your fingertips." Isn't that true in life, Brenna? You need to know the question you're trying to answer, right? It's not just, that looks good. The answer is, why, where, when, how, what's it going to do for me? What are we trying to solve? Uh, I've done a show recently with some, some specialists on another show about the future of entrepreneurship and why startups will continue to fail, possibly at the current rate. And the question is, maybe they're not, they don't know what the question is. What are they trying to solve? So very, very good statement. Thank you very much. Vadi, I have selected statement number two from your list. I put it in the chat for you. Let me read a little bit and then have you do a deep dive. We are having some trouble with your video, so I'm keeping, when you speak, I'm keeping us all on full frame here so we see Brenna and me. So Vadi said the following, smart factory investments span across the eight, that's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, you great use cases at companies across a wide variety of industries. Listen up, consumer products, healthcare, and life sciences, heavy manufacturing, aerospace, defense. While the specific use case within an industry may be slightly different, a common set of problems are being tackled by companies. Dynamic scheduling, augmented workforce, Q, uh, we used to call it QA, quality assurance, quality management, asset utilization, sustainability and energy management, smart conveyance and warehousing. All I'm going to say is, wow. Vadi, walk us through this, please. Go ahead. Yeah, um, thanks, Bonnie. As we think about, as companies have really started to hone in on uh, the kind of investments they need to make uh, around smart factory, well, they have, they've started to hone in on various elements of the smart factory that is going to drive value. Uh, if you think about uh, the, the shop floor, all things from how do we drive more production efficiency? How do we improve quality management? How do we create the ability for our workforce to work both in a, uh, in a remote environment in some cases, but also in an augmented environment? So working collaboratively with robots is an interesting element of what Smart Factory does. Uh, how do we think about the notion that that scheduling needs to be dynamic in order to be able to make the kind of changes on the shop floor that is necessary for a dynamic supply chain? Uh, and then sustainability, uh, Bonnie, you talked about it earlier, has become a key element. How do we create factories that are sustainable, that don't consume all the energy, with, but either can be carbon neutral or give back energy back into the uh, back into you know into the city or the environment uh, things about how do we think about warehousing and the level of automation that needs to go into warehousing uh, that could be you know automated guided vehicles it could be you know smart conveyance solutions the the smart factory investments have started to really span across all dimensions of you know, what happens within the factory floor, but also across, you know, how does the factory floor integrate better into the broader supply chain? So, and, and these, uh, these uh, uh, investments, uh, as, as we have been looking at various clients across all kinds of industries, 
all of these industries are starting to make the, these similar investments in their respective areas. And we have several um, you know, companies uh, that, that have been doing this across consumer products, uh, across aerospace and defense, across life sciences and pharmaceuticals, every one of them going through this exact journey really at the same time given you know where technology has come in terms of its ability to be able to do this but more importantly given the the recognition that companies have that this is actually going to add value to their supply chain it's great to have technology that uh, that works uh, back to Brenna's point, what is the problem you're trying to solve? Companies are starting to hone in on what is the exact problem that this technology will solve. And as a result, you know, create the kind of investments they need to, to drive the value. This is, this is changing and this is global. This is not just mm -hmm. in the US, this is not just in Europe. As you look at Asia Pac, as you look at Latin America, the kinds of investments that are happening there, in fact, in some cases, they're leading the pack uh, in the way they're thinking about these investments. And, and that is very, very exciting to be able to uh, share knowledge across globally and to create that connected global smart factory network that companies need in order for them to drive efficiency and effectiveness in their supply chain. Very interesting. That has to all be good news. And Vadi, what struck me when you were talking was that it's in so many industries, you said it's happening all at the same time, not US centric around the world, that this this level of intelligence about how do we build our company, our manufacturing plant, if you will, our organization to evolve, that it's it's here now, it's catching on. It's not just, oh, there's one leader in, in Australia who's doing this and somebody in the United States thinks it's a good idea, that it's catching on, which shows an evolution. Am I right, Brenna? An evolution of the whole concept of manufacturing. Brenna, let's get your thoughts on this. Agree or I don't know if you want to disagree. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I, I completely agree. Unsurprisingly, I think I think Vadi has it exactly right. I think a couple of things here. The fact that these these great eight use cases are largely um, the same across industries says a couple of things. It says that there are just universal challenges that every supply chain is, is really going to face, mm -hmm. that there are solutions that we can use um, that really can help many different types of organizations um, meet this, their challenges. And you know, potentially that we can take lessons from one industry and apply them to another. So if we've learned something in a life sciences and healthcare supply chain, we might be able to apply that in, in a different supply chain in a different industry. So there's there's the, the sort of portability of knowledge that exists. I think another thing Vadi said that was very, um, very thought provoking is the idea that it's not just about the smart factory, it's about how it fits into the rest of the the value chain or supply network um, through distribution centers, through your suppliers, all of it fits together. Um, and having data from all those different areas helps you make smarter decisions, but it also shows you how shifts in one node might impact what decisions you're making in another area. So rather than needing to look at your supply chain as a linear process where you can't react upstream until you've seen fully what's going on downstream, you can really react to how things are shifting in a much more um, real-time interconnected way. Thank you very much. Brenna, I have a question for you, a question for Vadi also, and I put the next statement in the chat for you, Brenna. A couple of years ago, I was doing a show on the future of manufacturing with, with SAP. You know, I do a lot of game changer shows for SAP that I created. And somebody brought up the fact that back in the day, way back in the day, people would say, well, what are your children? Well, my son has a job in a factory. 
Okay. All right. Uh, we're thinking of the Charlie Chaplin days, right? We're thinking of assembly line. We're thinking of push the button and the widget goes in and then the next widget and 5,000 widgets later, you're exhausted and you go home and you have dinner and you wake up and you go back and you push the same button and make the same widgets the next day. And then somebody said, wait a minute, factories have gotten exciting to places to be working in. People, kids are getting jobs and they're saying, wait a minute, I've got an iPad. I've got some kind of a device in my hand here. I'm part of a process. I'm making decisions. Real-time operations are happening here. And I'm excited to go to work. And it became a, an enviable, enviable, positively sought job. Any comments on that, Vadi? So it's actually really interesting that you say that. It's, it's enviable. Yeah, there, there are lots of companies where uh, young people now starting in, in, in factories, what they do is they actually make it like a, like a video game. They're out there controlling robots that move around in the factory or machines that move around. And so they have these little, uh, you know, things that they can, they can move their, the, the, the machines with or the equipment with, or they call it smart dogs in some cases uh, that can move parts from one, one line to another. So this is not someone making a widget this is someone playing a video game with how things are going around in the in the smart factory in, in, in a smart factory so that's really the evolution of you know how factories are moving towards and as a result you know the evolution of how talent needs to be sought by companies uh, this is not just someone that knows how to put parts together this is someone that knows technology and knows and intuitively has grown up with technology and as a result this is just an extension of what they were probably playing with as kids that can be done in the factory very very interesting thank you for that so going to work in a factory is like playing a video game brenna before we move to your next topic anything you want to say back to body this is fascinating brenna well, I, I, again, I think Vadi made a very good point about people coming into the, the job market now have grown up with technology and in many cases are more familiar with it than we are. I mean, anyone who's ever had their, their kid fix their phone for them in two seconds knows knows how this goes. So I think what we're also seeing is that um, sort of younger talent coming in also has the opportunity to train some of the more mature season talent and vice versa so they can both learn from each other, which I think is potentially a very interesting opportunity to help everyone get better. Thank you very much. Let's go to our next topic. Oh, I enjoyed that very much. Yeah, my kid got a job playing video games and being paid at a nice hourly rate and they're in a factory. What? Well, tell me, my kid's looking for something too. Very interesting. A whole change in, in how the workforce sees work, right, Brenna and Vadi? A whole change in, in what work means. And, and we talked for years about the fact that people... All of us as consumers are used to certain consumer grade applications on our phones, on our tablets, in our smart, there's another smart word, in our smart homes. And we go to work and it's like, oh God, when are they going to upgrade what they, we want that consumer experience in our work experience. And now you're saying that factories can give that to the people who work there. F absolutely fascinating. Brenna, I'm looking at your statement number three. Let me read a little bit. You say scaling any new any new capability, I'm going to say an opportunity can be difficult to achieve, but taking an ecosystem approach can make it easier. I'm going to stop there. Brenna, unpack, please. Go ahead. All right. Well, um, you know, we're always told don't go it alone. Um, there's, there's lots of different 
capabilities and groups and experts that can help, particularly with something as challenging as, as scaling a capability, because it is relatively easy enough to, to start with something small and, and prove it out, but being able to build it across your network or being able to, to build it up to an enterprise level can be a much more challenging endeavor. So I, I think working with ecosystem partners can help organizations find and extract greater value, um, leverage different types of data that they might not have had access to or work across their value chain to drive much more intelligent decisions. We've done research that has shown that some of the benefits mm -hmm. of working with an ecosystem enable um, organizations to get to market faster, to grow faster, to move into new geographies or lower the barriers to entry into a new market faster, um, and to really get through uh, you know, new products much more quickly. And in fact, we did a digital transformation study, uh, you know, six, seven months ago that showed that something like 86% of leaders in the manufacturing space really look to ecosystem partners as a way to drive significant value within their organizations. So leaders really know that this helps them to make a difference. Um, it helps them to bring in capabilities that they might not ordinarily have. Um, and, and, and quite frankly, I think it also goes back to a little bit to the talent conversation we were just having before, that the ability to share data and information and expertise across your ecosystem is much the same as, as, as bringing in new talent in that you're, you're able to bring in these new capabilities and skills and sort of widen the aperture on what you can accomplish. Thank you very much, Vadi. Let's go and see what you have to say back to Brenna about scale. What do you think? Well, I think I think what Brenna was just describing around ecosystems is is crucial uh, to the success of of how companies need to think about you know not just smart factories but the broader supply chain and, and ecosystems in, in as Brenna was describing it what what occurred to me and what's happening in the marketplace is there's two different types of almost ecosystems there are very experienced players in the market that have been doing this for ages that we want to build strong relationships with. People that manufacture equipment and as a result, smart equipment as they have continued down their journey. Uh, but there are also a lot of startups that are coming up in this space that do phenomenal work and, and use new technology in, in extremely creative ways. So when we talk about ecosystems, it is, and when companies need to think about ecosystems, they need to really think about this right combination of, I'll call it experienced players and startups. Uh, and that will bring the, the value that they're looking for uh, into, into what they're doing around Smart Factory. And, and once that combination is set, it, it helps a lot. Now, it's important for that ecosystem to evolve itself as well. So this is not a static ecosystem that you can set up and, and you're in good shape because technology is changing so fast, players are changing and evolving so quickly. The ecosystem also needs to evolve, just like the organization needs to evolve as well. Thank you very much. Brendan, anything you want to say back? I, I mean, I think Vadi has it exactly right. And the, the point about sort of the, the established players as well as the startups and, and having a mix of that, I think, is, is a very salient point. It also goes back to the talent um, conversation we were having about having digital natives and, and new new sort of younger workers and, and the more established, seasoned, mature workers as well. I think bringing both together allows you to have almost the best of both worlds. Thank you very much. Good points all. Vadi, I'm going to your statement number four. Your video's back. We can see you again. You're moving. Yes. For our listeners on Voice America, this is the age of, of 
questionable connectivity for everybody. So we're getting through this, but the voices are clear. And obviously we have two very, very smart voices talking about smart factories today. Statement number four from Vadi, he says, given the diverse nature of the plant floor and the existence of several, and he puts in quotes, legacy assets that cannot be replaced easily. Development of smart factories requires a strong ecosystem, which we said of established players. Let's talk about this legacy equipment, the assets that you either want to hang on to because they still work or because they were expensive or because you think you might need them. It's like the dress in the closet that you think you'll wear next season. You really don't want to give it away. I'm sorry. I had to say that. Vadi, go ahead. Unpack this for us, please. First of all, it looks like my video is back, which is great. So I don't. I do have to call Verizon now, uh, based on based on what's happening here. <laughs> but but what I what I will tell you is, you know, interestingly, in the smart factory, uh, we we call it smart factory, but the reality is, organizations have spent millions, if not billions, of dollars in developing assets on the manufacturing floor. Those assets don't just get replaced overnight uh, to create new assets. What happens is that these assets need to get enhanced in some way through better data collection from those assets. So we may want to sensorize some some specific assets. We may want to add some newer technology as appropriate on the floor, but there's not going to be a mass replacement of legacy assets in order to create the smart factory. Smart factories need to be created with existing assets, with existing infrastructure, uh, with existing investments that companies have made. And, and so as we think about the, which is why uh, when we were talking earlier about this notion of ecosystems, it gets very important to connect the right ecosystem players to leverage and, and maximize the value out of the existing asset. It, it's very similar to, to what we do with homes. That we, if you have an existing home and we want a smart, a smart bulb, it's one thing uh, it, to have a brand new home built in a completely smart way, way with smart curtains and smart TV and smart bulbs, you can construct all of that brand new, but you, you may not be able to do that with an existing home. It's a very, very similar concept. And it is something that's very important for organizations to realize is that you can create smart factories with existing assets. You do not need to replace existing assets to do that. And that is well proven, established uh, around the world. Uh, and, and it is something that we, would, uh, we have seen a lot of across all the, all the industries that we're playing in. Thank you. Brenna, thoughts, please? So I, I completely agree, and I'm going to build on it a little bit because um, as part of some of the research that we've done, we've, we've visited a variety of different types of factories to understand sort of some of the, the, the challenges that, that organizations face when they're trying to take perhaps an older facility and, and, and make it a smart factory. And, and there are a couple of things. You know, when you talk about a smart factory, the first thing that you need is, is connectivity. Um, and it's difficult for some facilities that we walked through didn't even have, you know, you, you couldn't even necessarily get a cell signal, let alone a Wi-Fi signal to connect things. So the ability to, to actually connect is probably the first thing that a, a, a incumbent facility or a brownfield facility needs to think about. Um, and not only that, it, to Vadi's point, even within the same facility, there's going to be all different types of assets of all different ages that need to be able to connect it and work together. And also, when you're thinking about a network of facilities, each facility may have a different layout. They might all have different equipment. 
Um, so you need to really think about how you can connect all those things together. So when, when we did our research, we thought about a couple of different things. The first is diversity in age, which Vadi talked about. This, this diversity in the age of the assets that you have. Some machines are from the 50s and 60s, some are from this past year. So being able to bring them together and, and, and retrofit some older assets to be able to connect is, is critical. Um, the diversity and purpose of, of many of the um, assets. So they're all trying to do different things. Um, so how can we capture data from them? And the diversity and data structure and format that comes from a lot of different assets and from a lot of different processes within a facility, how can you, and from all the different sensors and devices, how can you bring together and aggregate that data and, and put it into a structure and format that it can all be brought together and analyzed and used? And then also, you know, diversity in access methods, because, you know, it's not always going to be practical to add sensors to all equipment. There might be issues with access. There might be issues with security. Um, some industries have very strict regulations about what data can be captured and how and where it can be stored. So you really have to think about when you're bringing all of these different things together and all these different assets together, all of those different things to help you sort of make better decisions as to how to bring all of it together. Thank you. Bringing all of it together. That's the key. Vadi, comment back to Brenna, please. Go ahead. Uh, Brenna's point uh, is, is spot on. And I want to reiterate one thing. Uh, you know, there are facilities, as Brenna was describing, that may not even have Wi-Fi, good Wi-Fi connectivity. And there are facilities that may be extraordinarily advanced in the way they think about the use of technology. So you have a really broad continuum of the, of the smart, I'll call it maturity, of different facilities. It is okay and, and very common, in fact, to be somewhere along in the continuum. It is not necessary for everyone to be on the far right of the continuum, to be mm -hmm. smart, everything. Uh, the, the key really is trying to determine what is the value proposition to move to the right of the continuum. And, mm -hmm. and you, you only want to invest when there is appropriate value generation. So in some cases, just creating the Wi-Fi network uh, that works appropriately and, as a, and connecting some equipment may be plenty for that particular facility That's in right. terms of value creation. And in some other cases, it may be the need for very advanced technologies, you know, computer vision technology or or you know, or robots on the floor, because that's probably what's required in that specific industry and manufacturing facility to continue to create value. So that continuum is, is very important for, for companies to think about. And as a result, the investment profiles that, that, uh, that they would have would differ greatly, even within the same organization across different uh, plants, but again, of course, across different organizations and industries. Yeah. Brenna and Vadi, uh, something is coming to my mind. Yes, I, I'm, ge I'm getting this input here. And it says to me, there's a, there's a well-known joke about what the factory of the future will be. It will have, Brenna knows it, one man and one dog, or one, one, per one human and one dog. And the man is there, or the person is there, I'll say. Person is there to feed the dog, and the dog is there to tell the person when not to touch the equipment. <laughs> That's that's the smart factory. We should I should have led with that one, but I don't do that on the show. Thank you very much, uh, Brenna. I'm going to go to your statement number five. Let's talk. Let's go back to the people aspect. You say in a smart factory, people are still key to operations, and everybody's saying thank goodness for that. However, 
the smart factory can cause profound, or I'm going to change the word cause even to require, need, elicit, demand, um, inspire. Maybe we'll go to inspire profound changes in the operations and IT, OT organizations. Here's the point, resulting in a realignment of roles to support new processes and capabilities. Some roles may not be necessary anymore. Others may be augmented with new tech capabilities. Brenna, take it away. Talk to me. Sure. So I, I, I want to, you know, I think this is this is a great conversation to have because I think there there is a lot of fear around the smart factory and what it means for people. And I think what we're finding is it actually makes people even more critical um, than perhaps even before. Um, that being said, you know, it's also an opportunity to learn new skills, to learn to leverage new different types of technology. Um, new roles are emerging that didn't exist before to replace some of the roles that have that have sort of um, been um, sort of moved on from. So I think there are a lot of new opportunities for for new types of roles in manufacturing, some very, very exciting. I think one of the things that we found to go back to a little bit to the conversation that we had earlier, Bonnie and Body, was this: we, we joked a little bit about playing video games in, uh, a, in in a factory. But what we've actually have found is that a smart factory and its capabilities are really only as useful as people are willing to adopt and use them. And so, making the the um, front end experience for the user or the the employee user-friendly and easy to engage with actually encourages them to adopt it and use it and to gain more skills and to make the smart factory more successful. And what we've also found is, you know, there's so much data out there. You don't want to just look at spreadsheets of data as, as the user. It's not going to be useful to you. So adopting sort of a persona approach where each individual sees the data and information or applications that are most useful to them to enable them to do their job more intelligently has, has had profound effects on people uptaking and using these types of tools. It also allows people to make smarter decisions, to sort through data more quickly and to understand their role. I think the other thing that we found is is very important is the cross-functionality of IT working with OT, as we put it. So those on the shop floor also working with IT, which does involve a bit of a culture change because what we have found is that folks in IT are, are moving at a different pace than those in OT. There are different things they need to do to, to get things approved. There are different processes they need to go through. And so having a process by which you bring those two groups together and help them understand each other and work together also helps to um, to bring success and to, to help grow new skills for the workforce as well. Um, and, and I think those are just a few of the things. I know uh, I know Vadi will, will probably have a lot to say about this as well, given the work that he does. But I, I think the key here is making things as useful and effective as possible and helping people understand that change can actually be a really positive thing for them and their roles. Thank you very much. Brenna, for me, just please clarify. I know what IT is. What is OT? Operational technology. Thank you very much. I come from the era when it was IMS. Do any of you, either one of you remember that? Information management systems. That's <laughs> what the computer, I was a programmer analyst back in the early days. COBOL, I was working on a mainframe. I had to stand on a step stool to put the disk pack into the disk drive. The pack was this big and you'd insert it in and lock it and then you get off the step stool and then the operator, the computer operator would start it going, you go, Worrying or worrying around, so so uh, the the letters have certainly changed. Vadi, anything you want to say back to Brennan before we move on? I have another statement teed up for you. Vadi, 
This, what Brenna was describing is, is fundamental for the way companies need to think about. Uh, it, this is not a technology change. Uh, it, this, there is technology involved, but the reality is uh, that even though technology is involved, the most important element of this engine to work are the people behind that. Uh, so this is this is as much a people change, a culture change, an operating model change, an organizational change. In fact, it's probably more of that than it is a, a technology change. The technology is just an enabler in order to be able to create that value. Uh, a good example is, you know, as we get the kind of data we're going to get in the smart factory, companies need to think about people that are going to be much, much more analytical uh, in their mindset and in their abilities on the shop floor. So this is not just about people that can put widgets together. These are people that can analyze that a robot is putting a widget together and is that robot actually working effectively? And, and what kind of, you know, how fast is that robot working and what kind of changes they need to make? So these are people that are extremely analytical in the way they need to think. So as a result, the, the workforce is evolving. The, the shift is, is, uh, is frankly extremely real. And we are seeing this uh, in so many companies uh, companies that had factories 10 years ago and the people that used to work there, uh, you know, they have evolved. People have learned new skills. Uh, they have uh, learned, you know, how does computers uh, or technology actually help them? Uh, in the past, there was a level of concern that computers were going to take away their jobs. Now there's a recognition that computers aren't taking away the jobs. In fact, it's actually help, helping them do their jobs better. That's a fundamental shift in the way people have started to think. And frankly, that's a good thing for organizations because that is exactly what the point of smart factory is. And, uh, and so, uh, and we're seeing that come to life in, in, uh, in a lot of industries. Thank you very much, Vadi. I have a question for both of you on the topic of people. Bren, I'll position it to you first and then Vadi. Do people who are owning factories, manufacturing facilities, people who are at the top of the C-suite or whatever you call it in a, in a manufacturing, do they sleep at night? There are so many decisions to make. Who, on whose shoulders do these decisions fall? Is this something that comes from, we used to call it grassroots within a company where people say, hey, I heard that XYZ Widgets down the block has got robots and they've got this great technology and they got this thing called Internet of Things and they've got all these sensors and they're doing it real smart. It's time for us. Is this something that comes from manufacturing giants, we'll call them, sitting together at a symposium somewhere, whether it's virtual or in person, and saying, this is what the industry is doing, going back and saying, guess what, kids? We're going we're gonna to change next week because we've got to keep up. Is this something that's... Where is it coming from? In other words, whose job is it to say it's time for us to become a smart factory? I'm just curious. It doesn't have to be a long answer, but Brenna, what are you seeing? Where is this coming from? Well, I think the answer is it, it really depends. <laughs> I don't okay. know if that's it. I'll give you the I'll give you the classic consulting answer. It depends. <laughs> but I think um, I, I think it comes from multiple multiple places. One, I think the desire to, to be competitive. So okay. seeing that others are doing it and becoming more competitive, I think is is partially a reason to do it. Mm -hmm. I think what we've also found in our research is it, it has to come within an organization from the top, but also from the bottom. So it, it's almost you, you need to have someone in the C-suite who is championing it and who really wants it to happen, who can help see it through. Um, but you also have to have people sort of on the bottom up, which is, I don't necessarily like that term, but the people who are in the line of business doing the work day to day, who are actually willing to do it and willing to see it through. Because um, one of the things we talk about is um, 
you know, we can implement something, but once we walk out the door, people actually have to use it for it to, to make an impact. And so having that change come from both the top and the bottom will ensure that there is always someone there to champion the fact that it needs to happen. And I think Vadi made a very good point that at the heart of all of this, it's a, it's a people issue. It's a change management and culture change issue. And I think, um, you know, in order for it to be successful, people have to be committed to, to actually uh, adopting and using it. Thank you, Brenna. <coughs> Excuse me, Fadi. Thoughts on that? Whose job is it? it, 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 well, it, it whose job is it goes back to the why are you doing this, mm-hmm. uh, which is really the question that Brenna started this whole conversation with. Uh, because in some cases, you know, necessity is the mother of invention, right? So, so today, a, a good example of that is there's in in some industries and in some markets there's significant labor shortages. Uh, but you still have to kind of produce and can, kind of create the, uh, the the products you need for your customers. So that leads to maybe automation in some areas. But in some other cases, it actually is about uh, continuing to help the workforce get more efficient. You already have the people, but you're creating more, uh, you're, you're getting more value out of the people that you have on the shop floor through better use of technology. So why are you trying to do this? Will drive, you know, who is actually making the kind of decisions that, that need to get made to drive the, the, the future into smart factory. So I think that's the fundamental question we should answer and that naturally leads to, leads to who, who owns this. Thank you very much. I We have about seven minutes left. I'm going to squeeze in one more topic here. Vadi, I'm looking at your final statement, number six. Interesting. You say companies are moving away from POCs, that's proof of concept, and pilots in the smart factory space to solutions at scale. This is resulting in companies planning for, we're getting back to investments, significant investments in the space over the next decade. Let's push this out to the future a little bit. Let's talk about POCs and how do you get to scale from that? Vadi, why don't you take about two minutes, Brenna, two minutes, and then we'll wrap up. Go ahead, Vadi. Yeah, so if you look at it five years ago, uh, smart factory was a, was a cool term to use. Mm-hmm. Uh, companies would say, I want to start investing in it. It sounds cool. Let me go pilot it in one line. Let me do a proof of concept to see if this actually is going to add any value. Uh, let me... Uh, analyze what other companies might be doing in this space before I invest heavily. Well, that has fundamentally changed. And and this is across all industries that we're playing in and we're seeing uh, is that companies now believe in the concept. They know that they need capabilities that, that need to be scaled, scale, scale, scale. It is extraordinarily critical to create scale in the world of smart factory. And, and so companies are, are really now creating solutions at scale, moving away from POCs. And, and one of the drivers for that is that POCs give you a lot of information about specific value that you might come get out of a particular manufacturing line, for instance. But with the sheer amount of data that comes in when you have hundreds of plants and you gather hundreds, you know, millions and millions or billions of pieces of data, suddenly the way you need to think about this and the way you need to process this, the way people need to, the kind of people you need to have in order to interpret the data, all of that changes dramatically. Uh, and so, in, so companies have very quickly realized that proof of concepts or pilots may show some value, but the real challenges and the value creation opportunities lie when you get to solutions at scale. And so the investment profiles have increased because of that, but also uh, the, the focus on 
again, scale has become a key change in the last few years, especially in the smart factory space. Thank you very much, Brenna. Two minutes, uh, yeah, two and a half minutes, and we're going to wrap. Go ahead. All right, I, I agree with Vadi. I think I think a couple of things to add to that. I think um, in the, in the very beginning with smart factories, starting with small POCs is almost a way to gain comfort and make yourself feel comfortable with the fact that this will prove out, this will return investment, and we can figure out how to do this. But what we've also found in some of our research is there is such a thing as starting too small, where you start with a proof of concept that is so small that you really can't necessarily scale it across your factory network or across your facilities because the the um, solution is so specifically tailored to that specific situation in that specific facility. And when you try to scale it out, you know, if you have facilities across multiple different geographies, you're going to have different cultures, going back to the different machinery, different assets, different tools. So sometimes small POCs don't necessarily scale because they're too discreetly designed to that specific need. So starting with scaling actually helps you address a lot of those challenges and make sure that the, the solution that you are producing or creating is actually going to be more broadly useful and applicable. And I think to Vadi's point about data, you know, a small tranche of data is helpful, but seeing that data at scale where you can really observe on a much larger level what what's taking place allows you to be a lot smarter about things. It also allows you to be a lot more reactive and effective. Um, I do think that a, a lot of what's happening now with with the the goal of scaling to start comes from increased confidence, however, where um, we have gone through that phase of starting small. We've seen we can make it work, so let's let's go a little bit bigger now. Now that also we understand the technology a little bit better, um, we proved it out a little bit more, and it's it's you know we have a little bit more of a sense of what to do with our data. It, it's almost like you know it's easy. It's I wouldn't say it's easy, but it's easier to scale now than it than it may have been before anyone had a sense of how to do it. Thank you, Brenna. We're just about out of time. I have a question for both of you. Very, very short answer. Brenna, we met one year from today and we are now live. It's November 5th. Who knew where 2021 was going to go this fast? We could barely get out of 2020. And now it's, wow, we're almost at 2022, just weeks away. Okay. So Brenna, if we met one year from today, would we be having the same exact conversation about the future of smart factories, about how to how to embrace that evolving, that evolution of factories, about the changing roles of people, about investing in technology, about scaling, about the role of startups versus uh, what I call the behemoth enterprises and trying to match up the capabilities? One sentence, yes or no. Brenna and then Vadi, and then we got to go. Brenna? I would say yes, because some of the concerns like people are evergreen, but also I, I think that many of the lessons we're learning right now about the supply chain from what's going on in the world will change the conversation a bit because we'll have a much better sense of how things connect to each other. Thank you. Vadi, one minute, go. Well, actually 30 seconds. Fast, fast. A absolutely, yes. We will, we will talk about it. We will see progress in this space, but you're always going to need more progress and more evolution which is the whole point of the kinetic enterprise anyways, that is built to evolve. So, so we'll absolutely talk about it. Thank you very much. Thank you to both of you. I've enjoyed learning from both of you. That's why they call you transformation specialists because you know what you're talking about. I want to do a shout out to Hasmin Bolanos Flores. Everybody say thank you, Hasmin. Thank you, Hasmin. 
Brandy Boyce is our a new marketing person on the team for the Deloitte Connecticut Enterprise radio show. So welcome to Brandy. We also do shout out to longtime supporters, Maria Rechtenwald and Natalie Butlin at Deloitte. Shout out to Aaron Keller, my engineer extraordinaire at Voice America. He started working with me, Brennan, two years ago. He was 26. He just celebrated his 63rd birthday. We put him through his paces. Everybody wave goodbye. This is a shout out. Everybody be smart, whether you're in a factory or not. And we'll talk to you again soon here on The Connecticut enterprise built to evolve bonnie d out everybody wave bye bye thank you for listening to the kinetic enterprise built to evolve presented by deloitte be sure to join host bonnie d graham next friday at 6 a.m pacific time and 9 a.m eastern time on the voice america business channel Deloitte can help you reimagine everything in order to get the most out of your SAP investments and position your business for tomorrow's demands. Learn more at Deloitte.com SAP. This program is copyright Deloitte Development, LLC. All rights reserved.